Dear listeners, welcome to Faces of Digital Health with me, Tiasha Zaitz. If you're a regular listener of this show, you've heard quite a few episodes on blockchain in healthcare by now. In the first one, I covered the basics of what technology is and how it could be applied in healthcare. The second one was on the misconceptions around blockchain and its actual potentials around interoperability. I also recorded the panel at South by Southwest, where various speakers talked about blockchain in pharma, personal health records and identity management with the technology. Links to all these episodes are in the show notes. Moving forward, today's episode is an update on the current landscape of healthcare blockchain projects. When can we expect practical implications? What is the role of legislation? And how do genomic research, AI and blockchain go together? Intrigued? I talked to Ray Dogum, the host of Health Unchained, podcast focused on blockchain projects and implementations in healthcare. His background is in health sector management and he's currently a project manager at American Well, a telehealth company in Boston. Ray has a wide background in the healthcare industry. For a short while, he worked at the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute with the Revenue Cycle Department, where he researched prior authorization requirements for hospital services and health plan reimbursement claims processing. He also worked as a lab manager at MIT, where he investigated the role of diet on adult stem cells in the context of tissue regeneration, aging and cancer initiation using various microbiological techniques. Obviously, we started with what aging has to do with blockchain. More than you might think. Ray, did you read On Being Mortal by Atul Gawande? I actually sure did. And I have the book on my bookcase right now. And I thought it was a great book, very inspiring. The title says it all. And I think that it helped me look at the healthcare system in a more human way instead of looking at it in an economical way or looking at it as a how do you make this more efficient. Every human being is very, very unique and different and special. And I think that that book really draws that out. The reason I asked you that was because uh, I saw that you're interested in management of our aging population and the question of how mortality is discussed in the healthcare system and in society. And I think that's a very specific focus in need of attention. And what stuck with me with Atul Gavandi's book on being mortal was when he, for example, mentions how patients, uh, when they get a terminal diagnosis, they uh, ask the doctor how much time do they still have and what they're thinking is in terms of five to ten years span, whereas the doctor usually has in mind two or a bit more years and it can potentially be hard for the doctor to be honest with the patient because the, the discrepancy is so big in the perception that we have. Yeah, absolutely. I think also the way we define, you know, how much longer do you have to live, that's defined in number of 
years or months or uh, you know it's all based on time but it's more than just the time that's important it's the quality of life during that time and i think that you know and being mortal they kind of you know a tool focuses on that and talks about that as well i think it's really important that we think about health span more than lifespan when you become 60 or 70 years old do you think you'll be as functional or as um sharp as you are right now i don't think anyone uh kind of believes that i think with with age you start to see how uh your just some of your functions are declining have seriously how much do you think blockchain can improve mortality or aging good question so a lot of the issues with the healthcare system can be improved with blockchain if you think about medical records for example that's a huge one a lot of companies in the healthcare blockchain space are trying to allow patients to own their own medical data and then be able to take that from clinic to clinic and have that information be portable to them and also own that information and you know as we move forward into the genomic sequencing kind of era and genetically sequence we'll be able to have a more precise idea of what our own bodies require because right now the way we handle medicine is like it's a broad paintbrush right so like you have certain drugs we've done clinical trials on this drug it looks like it works to some statistical level so let's sell it as much as we can and push it as hard as we can sure the providers act as gatekeepers to certain drugs but you know they're also influenced by the pharmaceutical industry's marketing and what blockchain does is kind of breaks down all those um intermediaries and allows for people to trust information more in, in a more real way when i was thinking about this question my first thought was that yes um in a way blockchain could help with aging if you consider that care management coordination would be improved with some kind of better connectivity and traceability enabled by blockchain yeah so in the elderly population many of them suffer from comorbidities so it's not just one disease it's usually multiple diseases at the same time and they have to manage those conditions together uh so when you talk about care coordination i think you're you know you have your cardiologist who might have some information about the patient and then you have um endocrinologist might have another piece of the patient's healthcare record data blockchain can enable that patient to go from one provider to the other provider and they would both have access to that patient's entire longitudinal healthcare record thus providing more effective care uh i'm a little bit skeptical about when the blockchain capabilities could expand to the extent where this kind of sharing of data would actually be possible because there's various uh, problems associated to it for one thing you shouldn't put personal identifiable information on blockchain uh the second problem is that blockchains at the moment are not um capable of carrying heavy data yet so from from that point of view and because there's so many limitations with blockchain i'm wondering what's your viewpoint on the current blockchain uh landscape 
and the projects that are out there. In May this year, in 2018, you started a podcast, Healthcare Unchained, and you're talking to all sorts of uh, healthcare leaders and entrepreneurs, a lot of ICO projects. So what's your current take, your uh, overview based on the research that you did? I think there's a lot of optimism at the moment with all these uh, companies and they believe, they. I, I think that they truly believe that there is a path that they can take in which they would succeed in accomplishing their goals, whether it's building a personal health record that's decentralized or developing some sort of uh, blockchain that can track a pharmaceutical ingredient through the entire supply chain all the way up to the patient ingesting it. But the problem is, I don't think they all understand how complicated the entire healthcare system is. You know, they're making strides by trying to target specific problems, and I think that's key. I think the w companies that are saying, oh, we're going to be the blockchain of healthcare in the world, I'm, I'm usually skeptical of those companies. However, you know, I find it interesting, um, but it just seems a little bit unrealistic to me. I want to kind of go back to the care coordination question really quick because I agree with you. It might be difficult for humans to be able to get the right, the right patient information and communicate in an efficient way. But what I think blockchain also enables is uh, layers of artificial intelligence. My vision is that we can't really have good artificial intelligence that's constantly learning or machine learning platforms without blockchain. In what sense do you think artificial intelligence and blockchain are so tightly connected? Because what a lot of companies in the blockchain space are promising is the privacy of individuals' data. So despite having public blockchains, there's this idea that you would actually guard your own data and you would only open it when you would feel like it. And artificial intelligence at the moment needs large amounts of uh, data that it can learn from, which I think kind of uh, might be hindered in a way with blockchain. If you imagine that uh, each individual decides when his data is used or not. Right. So at the moment, you're right. We don't have as much information as would be required for a, a, you know, a, a well-working artificial intelligence systems. But moving forward in the future, I think that we'd want to be able to know if our data is part of a artificial intelligence algorithm. Not only that, I think we'd want to be able to give permission to that system. We'd want to make sure that information that's going into some artificial intelligence is valid and true. So I think that's why blockchain uh, would be a prerequisite to true artificial intelligence systems. So you wouldn't get false assumptions because the primary data would be wrong. Right. If you just think about like Twitter or think about some more simple current systems where you can have fake accounts and then your you know, Facebook feed might, might be giving you information or be trying to like influence you in a certain way. Um, that's because there are accounts that have been made that are not, you know, real. It's kind of spam accounts. And the AI bots are just picking them up as normal information and then generating more information around, you know, its database and causing potentially 
problems or non-truth informations. Let's say an artificial intelligence for healthcare starts recommending um, a diet or recommending drugs for people and the data it was fed was not real data. It was fake data or something like that. That could be you know, a big problem. There are around 150 projects around the world at the moment, approximately, um, exploring or applying blockchain in the healthcare space. So they're working on artificial intelligence implementations, genetic engineering, internet of medical things, telemedicine. Uh, some are um, addressing to some extent the issue around interoperability. So there's all sorts of um, applications. And what I'm wondering is how much do you see all these various applications are just a consequence uh, of the fact that because of the lack of understanding and because of the hype, blockchain has become a, a synonym for solving all the problems. And a lot of companies just used that lack of um, broader knowledge of the public to, to build their ideas and the hype of their companies on top of that. Yeah, I, uh, I think that's definitely happening. Organizations often try to pick up new technologies just for the sake of having that technology as part of their uh, branding even. And um, if you don't actually think deeply about the problem you're trying to solve, you're going to be wasting a lot of your time with blockchain. You know, it might be good as an exercise, but if you want to build something sustainable, you really have to focus and the hunt, you know, the 150 healthcare blockchain companies, and I'm sure there's more every day. Very few of them are, have a minimal viable product. Very few of them have advisors that have healthcare and technology experience. Um, I would say, you know, only a few dozen are at a level where you can um, expect them to have some traction. And it's still really early, too. It's all an experiment at this time. Like this. I think that's one of the crucial points because blockchain as such is just a technology. And when I say that there's 150 projects out there, the ideas might be completely sound, but they don't solve the biggest issue that most technologies have, which is that in the end of the day, you have to convince the stakeholders and the users to actually use that. And so you still, you have this new technology that nobody really understands or just very few people actually do in depth. And then you've got the old rigid healthcare institutions that you now need to convince that they should invest in this. And they're already looking at all other technologies uh, that are also interesting and appealing to, to invest in. That's a great point. And if you think about other technologies that have come into the healthcare space, I work in health, uh, telehealth. So I have um, clients where I, health systems clients, and I help them deploy telehealth technology into their ecosystem. Telehealth has been around for a while now, over, you know, over a decade. And there are still education points that we need to go over with our clients. And um, this is typical of technology in healthcare. It, it's going to take a long time for healthcare 
you know, leaders to understand what blockchain is. You know, we're still, there are still companies or hospitals that are trying to understand how to manage their electronic health records. Blockchain is still down the line um, in terms of adoption. I think that it's going to play a major impact when it does come through because one of the major issues, like we discussed, is there's a lack of trust amongst many stakeholders in healthcare. So you have, you know, every provider needs to be credentialed in every single state, at least for the United States, that's how it works. Um, so there's a different application form for every state. And for telehealth especially, that's really important because when you provide service or care to a patient in a different state, um, you need to have the credentialing in that state. Otherwise, you can't provide service to them. That's just one aspect of how trust can or how blockchain can improve the healthcare system by creating one identity for a provider and using that identity to validate that they can help patients in all different states instead of having separate credentialing systems for each state. There's these key components of blockchain that are really promising. The immutability, the traceability, the fact that anything that's on the blockchain can't be tampered with, and this additional layer of trust. Another thing that a lot of companies uh, were counting on when looking for the public support in the last two years with fundraising was this new token economics, which developed uh, with Ethereum, which uh, enabled mining of new cryptocurrencies. So you could create your own cryptocurrencies and hope that with enough of support and with enough of the users, that token would actually um, have some value. And going from that thinking, a lot of companies developed all sorts of new economies where your data, made be genomics or electronic healthcare data, would be profitable for you. So you would be the one, you as the owner of the data would be the one who would leverage from the data. Now, the ICO boom kind of boils down a bit. But if you take the token economics away from the ICO projects, what is left in how many cases do you see that companies are actually still interested in developing some sort of solutions because blockchain as a technology is still promising? A lot of uh, blockchain healthcare companies that are, you know, have been working on their project for, uh, you know, at least a few months, maybe a year. And these companies actually haven't had an ICO yet, they've actually decided not to have an ICO. And I think that's interesting because last year, 2017, there was a huge craze about all these ICOs, people trying to make quick money and um, raise funds really quickly without any actual product or solutions. And what I've seen is from the community, there's a lot of backlash and people are, some people are angry at these companies for not having an ICO. I found that pretty interesting. I think that, you know, if they decide that they don't need to raise any more money and that they can build what they need to build without additional funding, they shouldn't have to have an ICO. Many companies are starting to do that now. I mean, I find that token economics is very important for the long-term view. I think that there are permissioned blockchains now that might not have an emphasis on tokenomics. It's more sort of like a distributed database, more or less. I guess that can be helpful for now, and it's much more I get easier to implement or more accepting of certain organizations, especially in healthcare, where 
you know, people are afraid to put their data out there in the public. But I don't think that's something that's going to work maybe 10, 20 years down the line. Maybe in the next five years, that's going to be pretty popular. But, you know, long term, I think tokenomics is key for for this system to work. I guess it is, as you said, it depends on what you're trying to apply the distributed ledger technology or blockchain to. The project that I find interesting or like to follow is the initiatives that the Center for the Disease Control is looking at, which is using blockchain to identify uh, an antibiotic and opioid prescribing. There are many ways that you can apply blockchain, and it's kind of open-ended at this point. Like It's anyone's game. You can really think deeply about the problem you're trying to solve. The key here is understanding what blockchain is, right? And that's something that you know we didn't really talk about in, right now, and it's uh, probably for another episode, uh, and it's not something easily discussed anyways. But it's not just economics. It's also social. So the way we view data today is going to change pretty dramatically with blockchain. The idea of owning your own information and data and it being yours, something that we don't we don't have today. I know everyone kind of just trusts in Google or trusts in Apple, and those are the entities that govern your data and information. And we check that box for every terms of use form that we see, and that's just the way it goes. But in the future, we will have more autonomy with our own data and if people or if organizations or if some artificial intelligence system wants to lock into our data or or use it for whatever reason, we can decide if we want to allow them to or not. It won't be, you know, the Google or Apple or Amazon deciding for us. And that's, I think, very important to think about. When it comes to understanding uh, blockchain and the rationale behind it, there's a lot to think about in the ideological and philosophical sense of what it means to um, take out the intermediaries when it comes to data management, what it means to add an additional layer of consensus around validation of the data, sharing of the data, and, and data ownership. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's going to, what that means is we're going to need really, really good user interfaces and user experiences because right now we depend on, um, you know, Google, Apple, Amazon, or Microsoft. We, we depend on them for support and we probably will continue to do so. But as we build these blockchain, you know, autonomous organizations, there's, there's going to be a lot of dependency on ourselves. So we're going to have to make sure that we build out these systems in a sustainable sustainable way i think it might be scary or frightening to think about that we would be independent of ourselves because for example if you're a ceo of a of a company or an organization if you're a leader of an organization you know you're counting on someone else to have the expertise expertise in an area that you are not an expert in so you might be a great manager but you want to rely on someone with a reputation that is going to take care of your technological problem so from that perspective i totally understand why some institutions would still say 
Okay, so we want to connect with other parties. Let's take hospitals, for example. We want to connect with other hospitals. So we all have this new added layer of transparency when it comes to sharing the data among ourselves. But because we're not technical enough, we want to make sure that Hyperledger is the technology that we use because there's a lot of developers that know the technology and because there's someone that's going to be able to help us if we run into a a problem. Yeah, it is kind of scary, but we're on our way there and I'm not too I'm not too scared about it. All the decision makers, policymakers, overall, they're all aiming for good and efficiency and bettering society. Blockchain is in its very early stages. Most people agree that the user experience at the moment needs huge improvements. Uh, But the fear that I was mentioning refers a bit also to one of the latest research that was done among uh, the pharma, senior pharma and life science professionals. The not-for-profit organization Pistoia Alliance uh, did this research among 170 senior pharma and life science professionals. And what they were asking is, um, are they interested in, in blockchain and how heavily are they looking at it? And 60% of them said they are either using or experimenting with blockchain, which is a big uh, shift compared to the 22%, uh, which was the amount of uh, executives that answered that they were doing something in 2007. So 40% different in a year. However, on the other side, there's 40% of those that are currently not looking at implementing or have no plans at implementing blockchain. And the biggest barriers identified by this research was uh, the access to skilled blockchain personnel and the fact that blockchain is too difficult to understand. I thought that was really interesting because oftentimes you, you would come across question uh, of what is blockchain? Can you explain it in the simplest possible manner? And everyone has this desire to learn about blockchain in 15 minutes, which is almost impossible if you really want to get into the technical details. Yeah, absolutely. It's not an easy topic, but you know, I'm not surprised that there's an increase of people that were interested, executives that were interested or starting to work on these kinds of projects. But I wonder, you know, about that study and how much are they really, you know, that's just a questionnaire. And I wonder how much they're really working on it. And when they say they're working on it, what does that actually mean? And the other thing is there is a shortage of blockchain um, developers, like you said, uh, like the study says, uh, but the thing is, there was also a shortage of, you know, web developers in the in the 90s, right? So this is something that, as humans, we'll just learn over time. And what's interesting about blockchain, it's not just a technical um, technology, right? It's, as a, it's like a very social, and there's lots of other types of people. So they don't have to be technical at all that will be involved. Like if you think about smart contracts in general and how insurance works, there's going to be a, tons of people entering this uh, space, leaving insurance or people from insurance companies 
starting to develop or think about how to develop smart contracts. They might not be the ones doing the technical work, but they'll be the ones that are explaining it to the developers. You know, what event, what medical event should trigger payment or reimbursement for a specific type of um, indication and all, all these different scenarios that can play out is going to require, you know, these types of insurance people and legal people at the same time. So it's going to be um, not just developers. It's going to be all types of people getting into this space. And I'm excited for all of that. I think it's going to be awesome. I think there's going to be a lot of collaboration in the next upcoming years. And I encourage it. I encourage people to try to do their own research. I think it's not going to be great if you ask your, you know, your, your friend or your son or your whatever. You got to really dig in and find your own uh, path and understand it on your own because it's, it's something that's going to revolutionize the way we interact, not just with companies, but with each other, right? Like right now we're creating data, we're creating some content and information. And normally, you know, it would take, um, you know, somebody going and editing and publishing that, putting it online to, and then maybe somehow monetizing through advertising or something. But in the future, just the, the data itself will be digitized and tokenized in a way that it, it, it's natively valuable and can be converted into different types of currencies. I often like to quote the World Economic Forum that already in 2011 stated that personal data is becoming a new asset class. Yeah, I, I agree. I think personal data, you know, we, we've been talking about universal basic income for maybe decades now. It's been a, some sort of somewhere in the conversation in politics. Um, more recently, it's become more popular. But I think that instead of just relying on a government to pay out people and let them um, give them a, you know, a minimal income to survive or to live, what we can do is have a system where we can leverage the constant stream of data that's being generated by these individuals and capture it in a way that's valuable to the to society overall. And this is why I come back to artificial intelligence. I think this artifici these artificial intelligence systems will realize that in order to get better, they're going to need to refine and, you know, remachine their own understanding of their environment and the world. And they're going to love our data, which is kind of weird to think about our, you know, AI overlords um, paying us for our data. Um, but I mean, it's better than them not paying us, I guess. But, you know, <laughs> I don't know. What do you think? It's fair that you, if you are a patient and your data is being used to advance scientific research, that you're at least a part of the equation when it comes to revenue sharing. I think that's definitely fair, but on the other hand, not something that those that profit most uh, of the current data and the current system will be very... Um, very enthusiastic about. So I think when it comes to blockchain implementation, the legislation and government are also going to play a huge role. If you take, for example, clinical trials, which is one implication for the blockchain use, the traceability and immutability of the data could enable that 
negative results in clinical trials wouldn't be hidden. They would be reported. So you couldn't tweak the data in the same manner as you can do today, where clinical trials are specifically designed to prove specific things and negative outcomes might not be reported because they don't serve the purpose of uh, commercialization of the of a specific drug. Yeah, I agree. I think that clinical trials, the way we do them now, there's definitely a lot of room for improvement. Um, but not only that, I think with blockchain, or not just blockchain, but with coupled with other technologies as well. So blockchain is not the end-all, be-all. You know, we're going to have to, in terms of interoperability, leverage FHIR, for example, FHIR um, standards and other standards that are uh, more adaptable to our current systems. Blockchain will just enable that uh, permissioning and trust part. But clinical trials have a start and end point. I think what would be more valuable, in my opinion, is having data constantly streaming in from individuals who are taking that medication after trials are done, years after the drug has been approved, because I think that goes to waste. Every single human that experiences some sort of ailment and then has to take some some drugs, for example, is that being reported on? Is that going back into the system, you know, using that individual's genetics, using their individual lifestyle, diet, habits? We passed the FDA Let's sell as much as we can. And I feel like we, we lose out on um, longitudinal kind of studies like this or observational studies. So there are observational studies going on, but I think that we can enable more. The IoT devices are the potentially next step in gathering reliable data because what they do is they uh, gather data seamlessly, potentially even without our awareness. That's the big problem with wearable devices because we become annoyed by them uh, or just get tired of them and then we stop using them, which means that the data they, that they co collect is not very accurate. Yeah, exactly. I feel like as we, we kind of talked about, every day we're generating information, you know, we're walking a certain distance and it's not just activities, also the way we feel, right? Our emotional state, our, our conscious state, our energy levels, the way we interact with other humans. All these like factors are super important. I think that with IoT devices, we'll be able to collect that information and bring it back into a system and generate new insights that we have never even thought about before. And that excites me. I think that's like the coolest thing ever. And I'm really looking forward to being able to be part of that. And I think there's a lot of potential for, um, you know, internet of medical devices to play a huge role in how uh, clinical trials are done and also observational studies. You know, I remember when the first Fitbit came out and I was like, wow, this is cool. I tried it out and it, it was like kind of a toy, right? But now, you know, with the new Apple iWatch, you know, things have become more precise, more accurate. And I think that over time, it won't be just devices on the outside of our bodies, but I think we'll take it to the next level and have devices within our own systems and in, in our own bodies. There's a problem with all this, right? What happens to like your privacy, right? So I think that that's where blockchain is so important. You can still have that transparency and provide that all that information to this system, but also retain the, your privacy with blockchain.
At least that's what I think. One of my favorite interviews is episode six of Medicine Today on Digital Health. I talked to Anthony Turner, a professor from Sweden, who's working on um, electronic sensors uh, for in healthcare. And what he said was that we're currently, we currently have sensors, sensors that are easy to make and we're measuring things that are easy to measure, but we're only approaching time when we're going to uh, measure things that we actually need. And that's the ingestible, embeddable sensors, nanosensors that are much more complicated, much more complex and potentially have better, better insight. Right. I mean, that's the next phase, right? So ingestible, you know, you can have drugs that can detect whether or not they've been dissolved. So in a way that also helps you and your doctor and your relationship with your doctor, because you can say, Hey, I'm adhering to this medication, right? For medication adherence, especially in the elderly population is a big problem. A lot of people don't take their medicine and you're trying to take your medicines on time, but you don't, at least this gives both parties a way of knowing that. So the second it enters your stomach and dissolves that potentially that sensor gets dissolved and that sends a signal out to your cell phone or the system to let you know that it's you've taken the medicine and then lets your doctor know. So there's a green light, but then if it notices like five days in a row, it could, it could send out an alert that you haven't taken your medicine in five days. So all these like little alerts and mechanisms and powered by IOT devices is just going to only make the whole system more efficient and productive. Drug adherence is one of the problems that still is waiting for the right solution in healthcare. And it's often not that the patients wouldn't want to take their drugs. It's just too complicated uh, with the elderly, as you said, uh, because they have so many medicine and potentially even dementia or diseases that temper their, their memory. So it's impossible for them to, to rely on themselves to take the drugs as intended. Right, exactly. And let's say you have like a little system or a little family unit, right? And, um, you know, your grandmother has Alzheimer's, but there's some medication that she should be taking, but she's forgetting. And if one certain day you notice that your alarm went off and it said, hey, your grandmother missed her medicine, you can give her a call. Maybe you give her like a Skype phone call or something, something easy. So just to remind her. And so this benefits your grandmother and not just reminding her about the medication, but that in human interaction with your grandmother is in a way maybe more powerful than the drug itself. Uh, so this is the types of insights that we can gather if we're able to track every kind of human interaction that occurs. Right now, we're, the stuff that we're collecting, the information or data that we're collecting is so primitive and minimal, it's not providing us the full depth of how we interact with our universe. Allowing for more data collection can provide huge insights that we've never really um, considered, I think, and especially in healthcare, because, you know, we attribute a lot of these illnesses and diseases to biochemical issues, which, you know, they, they are in many ways, but they're also emotional and societal and commu community kind of 
effects that can we should be taking into account as well. How fast do you think we can realistically expect broader blockchain implementations in healthcare? The Gartner curve predicts that the peak of inflated expectations is going to end in 2020 and we can expect the plateau of productivity after 2030. So I'm the type of person who's very optimistic usually. Uh, I went to a conference last year. It was a conference here in Boston and I forget who the speaker was, but it was a keynote speaker, maybe from the NIH. And she was talking about innovation and how students should be, you know, challenging the status quo and being more innovative. And, you know, after her presentation, there was time for a Q&A and I asked the question, hi, so what do you think about blockchain? And when do you think healthcare, the healthcare industry will adopt blockchain similar to how the financial industry is doing now? And she looked at me, kind of smiled and people, a few people laughed in the audience and said, well, she's like, you know, that's going to take some time, probably not for another 10 years. So that's, you know, when I heard that, I was a little disappointed, to be frank, but also it put me, gave me a little bit of perspective. You know, it's going to take some time for blockchain to be understood by the healthcare industry. And it's going to take time for companies to really develop a value proposition, a good enough value prop where adoption takes place. There are companies now that are solving specific problems, um, mainly on the, like, kind of the interoperability side or uh, data sharing side of things. But, you know, broad adoption, uh, you know, it's going to take many years. We all know how big the market is in healthcare. So as long as the startup is focusing on a large segment of the market, that's good. Um, also, the team is really important. I feel like if you're able to find a team that's truly passionate about what they're doing and is able to actually get those things done, you'll have more, they'll have more success. I mean, that's the way I see it, you know, building that culture from the start, especially in a blockchain company, because the ethos of blockchain is a lot about sharing and it's a lot about transparency. And I feel like having that culture from the start will probably enable companies to have better chance of survival or success. Yeah. Lately, I've been thinking that apart from having a good team that's driven behind their, uh, their mission is also uh, having a team that's strong in a broader sense. I mentioned before that I believe that even in blockchain, legislation is going to take huge part. If you think about how the electronic health records adoption happened in the U.S., it really only started when legislation started taking place, when financial incentives were done by the government to encourage healthcare institutions to adopt. So there's this discrepancy in healthcare that we see often that you've got a lot of good ideas that are good for the user, that are good for the patient, that improve patient outcomes, but that's still not enough because there's no financial incentive for something to be implemented. Yeah, that's a good point. And I do think the government's going to have a huge role. I mean, in you know, 2016, the Office of the National Coordinator for Health Information Technology, they had a competition 
um, a blockchain competition where they invited people to submit white papers on how to improve healthcare using blockchain. And they kept it pretty open-ended. I'm not sure how many people submitted, but there were 15 white papers that were selected. And that's a good start. I mean, this was in 2016. Um, I think that the idea of financially incentivizing companies to adopt healthcare records, healthcare EMRs, uh, emergency, um, electronic medical records, that was important at the time. But I feel like with blockchain, it might be a little bit different. There might be implicit incentives just by having a tokenized solution that would be enough financial incentive for organizations to adopt it. Yeah, if tokens come into play, then then that's definitely an incentive that would go around the traditional financial incentive models. You know, the other interesting you know, idea behind blockchain it is not really contained within borders. I mean, it, it doesn't have to be, right? You can have, because it is inherently decentralized, you can have the same healthcare blockchain system or solution working all over the world. So that's another layer of uh, barriers, or yeah, I would say barriers, that blockchain might have the potential to just skip over. It's still really hard to do because people still need to adopt it. There's still got to be a lot of education behind it. Uh, it's got to be scalable. It's got to work. One of the, the things that I noticed is, especially in the US, you've got new a new organization and interest groups that are trying to encourage the understanding of blockchain, the meaning of blockchain that are working in specific industries to basically lobby in a way um, about how much the technology makes sense. So from that perspective, I guess, it's good that we have these political players that might help drive adoption. Yeah, no, and I really like the analogy that people talk about how if you think about the internet, what the internet did is it provided people with a way of transferring data and information on a global network. So you can, you know, send words, pictures, photos, audio, all types of content um, and share that with anyone in the world. But it's not, how do we trust that data is valid and true? You, you know, you can send money electronically like Venmo or different types of um, bank money transfers. It's all done electronically now, but it still relies on just the internet. What blockchain does, it, it does not depend on, you know, that single layer of information transfer. This is more about, blockchain is more about actual value transfer and value in a way that cannot be copied or um, fraudulent. You've been following the crypto space for several years by now, but uh, since getting into healthcare uh, and blockchain applications more specifically, is there anything that you could say that um, got you most excited or surprised you most? I mean, there are so many, so many things. Um, I think what's fascinating is that when people in healthcare who are talking about their problems and don't know anything about blockchain constantly talk about, you know, how trust is an issue within 
different systems and financial reimbursements. So the the way that we transact money in the healthcare system is so I feel broken and you know in order to for an insurance company to pay a provider it takes you know at least a month maybe 90 days and it has a lot of back and forth and communications with the provider or the clinic or its staff something that can be easily solved with smart contracts i believe so and it's it's funny because the people that are talking about these problems don't know about blockchain so they literally talk about problems in a way blockchain has the potential to solve and in such a it just makes so much sense to me and i think that what what i'm trying to do with my podcast uh, health unchained and i think what you're trying to do as well with your podcast and i think it's great is bring that awareness out to people and help people understand that there are solutions although it's not ready yet for mass consumption there are solutions being presented solutions you know being worked on and um, it's going to require everyone's effort to participate and once people are you know buy in i think it's going to be great i'm just looking forward to it all this was the 20th episode of faces of digital health as mentioned see the show notes for further episodes on blockchain in healthcare and before you run away a quick question can you guess where a lot of digital health investors and opinion leaders of digital health will be on November 15th and 16th. The answer is Berlin, because the Frontiers Health Conference is going to take place there. If I just mention a few speakers, you will be able to meet and hear Eugene Barakovich, the Global Head of Digital Health Incubation and Innovation at Bayer, Francesca Wutke, Managing Director for Europe at MSD Global Health Innovation Fund, Matthias Kuz, Head of Health Innovation Center Alliance Partners, and Unity Stokes, President and Co-Founder of Startup Health. You can actually listen to Unity in two episodes of this podcast, Episode 3 of Medicine Today on Digital Health, where he explained how the digital health vision ended up in the Oval Office. And we also spoke again for episode 2 of Faces of Digital Health, together with Esther Dyson and Stephen Krein. I included links to all the shows in the show notes. Stay tuned.